Warning, today's story is rated R for foul language, violence, and because it's by Scott Sigler. Escape Pod 57 June 8, 2006 Today's story, Chuckles Mulrooney, Attorney for the Damned, by Scott Sigler. Hello, I'm Steve Ely, and welcome to Escape Pod. This is a big week in the Ely household. My wife and I just took a step we'd been talking about for a while now. We cancelled our satellite TV and TiVo subscriptions. From this point on, the media tide is rolling around our house instead of over it. Now, this isn't a total withdrawal from pop culture. We're not getting rid of our television. We simply looked at the amount of TV we actually watch each week, maybe two or three hours, and realized that this was a ridiculous amount of money to be paying each month for something that wasn't all that important to us. We have a Netflix subscription, too, and every season of everything now is eventually available on DVD, so if we're willing to wait, we can still catch the few shows we care about. And if we don't want to wait, well, a lot of stuff is for sale on iTunes now, and that's still a lot cheaper than paying for satellite. We do have to think ahead about what we want to watch, but I don't see that as a bad thing. There's another reason, too, and it involves our 14-month-old son, Alex. So far in his life, Alex has barely seen any TV. Again, we think that's a good thing, but we know that'll eventually change. I'm not really opposed to children's television. I know there are a lot of good shows out there, and I'll be happy to get those for him on DVD. What we mean to shelter him from, by cancelling our TV feed, isn't really the shows, it's the commercials. Much of the marketing to kids I've seen is both insipid and highly manipulative, and I'm opposed to indoctrinating children into a consumer mindset when they're too young to think about what they're seeing. If we can protect him from that, then it's worth any minor inconvenience to us in not being able to catch the latest e-true Hollywood story. Actually, come to think of it, there really are no downsides. So, on to today's story. In celebration of that 6606 date that everyone was amused by this week, we present a somewhat atypical story by Scott Sigler, titled Chuckles Mulrooney, Attorney for the Damned. A very large number of you will know Scott's name as the author of the hit podcast novels Earthcore, Ancestor, and Infection. If you haven't heard any of them yet, then I highly recommend you check them out at scottsigler.net. The story is read for us by Preston Buttons, the co-host of my favorite inebriated short story podcast, Air Out My Shorts. I knew that bringing those two paragons of podcast literature together on this podcast would either cause every molecule of all our bodies to simultaneously explode at the speed of light, or make for an amusing reading. Luckily, the experiment favored the second outcome. So zip up your dockets and take your hands off your subpoenas. It's story time. Chuckles Mulrooney, Attorney for the Damned, by Scott Sigler. Devin Collingsworth swayed slightly from side to side, a testament to his lack of sobriety, considering he sat at the kitchen table, leaning heavily on both elbows. In front of him stood a half-empty bottle of five-star vodka, its clear warmth and the promise of forgetfulness beckoning to Devon like a mermaid calling to a wayward galleon. His right hand clutched a cellular phone, the call heralding the good news he'd passionately visualized for over a decade could only be moments away. His other hand wrapped around a beat-up forty-four Magnum, 
a present from his dead father, an inheritance actually, seeing as his father's last act was using the forty-four to splatter his brains all over the rumpus room. Devon kept the gun out of morbid memory. He was the next big horror writer after all, and such a grisly memento seemed to fit his prefabricated image of a twisted literary superstar. He'd never planned to use the gun for anything other than interviews with People magazine reporters, a publicity stunt to show just how messed up he was. People got off on that shit if you were a horror writer. They wanted to know if you were damaged in some way, as if your deviance and lack of normalcy justified creation of dreadful yarns. How ironic that he now planned on using the forty-four in the same fashion as his dear old dad. Like father, like son. The hollow point rounds would do more than just take a chip off the old block. Devon's head hung down until his precisely shaggy hair brushed the tabletop. He'd just written his masterpiece, clearly the best work he'd ever done. After ten years of mediocre manuscripts, ten years of striving to be the new master of horror, Generation X's answer to Stephen King, ten years of wading through the ego-laden short story market, ten years of supplementing his full-time writer income by doing freelance high school football and basketball stories for the local paper, after ten years of pure bullshit, he'd written something that simply could not miss. He'd just emailed that something, that can't miss something, to Morty, his agent, who by now had surely read over the brief manuscript. Devin knew Morty would rave over the piece. The way things were going, Morty would probably just happen to be having lunch with some major publisher who'd peruse the short manuscript over Morty's shoulder and immediately purchase it for at least a cool million. Devin knew these things because, after all, when you sell your soul to the devil, fame and fortune are a done deal. The phone beeps softly. Despite his dulled reactions, Devin clicked the talk button without a moment's thought. He slowly pulled the cellular to his ear as if it were a 30-pound dumbbell and he was on his last excruciatingly slow rep. Hello? Devin! Morty practically screamed into the phone. This is Morty! I just got your manuscript, kiddo! I have to say I never thought I'd see you write something like this, but it's incredible! Thanks, Devin said. Morty screamed each sentence as if he were an orgasmic guest of a Playboy Mansion orgy. I mean, this is a showstopper! You're gonna be a household name, my boy! I knew there was a reason I stuck by you! Where have you been hiding this stuff the last ten years? Beats me, Devin said, his words thick and slurred. You might say the muse struck me. Well, I'll buy that muse a drink! Beat you to it, Mort. Sounds like it, kiddo, Mort said. Listen, you're not going to believe this, but I just happened to be having lunch with Robert Reffelman, the publisher of Penguin Books. You don't say. Devin took a quick pull from the bottle. His taste buds were long dead from the cheap liquor, and at room temperature, the vodka went down like lukewarm water. Yeah, and he read the manuscript just now. I mean, of course, it's only ten pages long, but he loved it. He offered us $1.6 million for U.S. rights, and we haven't even talked about international. Imagine the luck, Demon said. I have to admit, when I saw the title, Fanny the Fluffy Kitten, I thought you were nuts. 
but it's the best damn children's book I've ever seen. Robert loved it. Wants to get the art and have it on the presses by this Christmas. Whoopee, Devin said. Just cut the deal, Morty. You do whatever you think is best. Devin hit the talk button again, disconnecting the call. He set the phone down and lifted the gun. After a decade of ceaseless writing struggle, Satan had come to him, in of all places, the soup aisle at Myger's grocery store. There was no fire and brimstone, no tail, no horns, not even that cool hipster pointy goatee the devil always sported in the movies. He was actually kind of fat and wore a three-piece suit with Gucci shoes. He didn't look at all like Satan. He looked more like Dom DeLuise posing as a lawyer. Got a deal for you, Devin, Satan had said. With one syllable from his mouth, Devin knew instantly who it was. He didn't waste time with the how did you know my name and how do I know you're really the devil bullshit because something inside him identified Satan as sure as a redneck knows a new Garth Brooks tune from the first twangy white trash lyric. You want to be a writer, Devin? Satan asked. Fine. You'll be as famous as all get out. Make over a hundred million. Be a household name. Do the book tours. Be on all the talk shows. Have movies made of every book you put out. The American Dream. Exactly what you always wanted, Devin. To be famous. To be a writer. Devin surprised himself by not even thinking twice. He made the deal. They slunk out to Satan's black Jeep Grand Cherokee to sign the contract. As if Satan were a cheap $20 hooker and they were knocking out a quick blowjob. Satan, of course, had parked his obnoxiously huge SUV in a handicapped spot. Devin abstractedly wondered how the jeep handled on hot brimstone. He had to prick his finger and sign in his own blood. His signature was damn near illegible, more a smear of thick red streaks than a name. Like the writing of a five-year-old tripping on a double hit of acid, but somehow Devin knew the penmanship didn't really matter. Satan handed him a copy of the 150-page contract, grumbled something about beating rush hour traffic, hopped into the Cherokee, and drove away, ignoring a no-left-turn sign as he did. Devin looked at the contract. No human skin, no parchment, just standard office paper. It was even notarized. Devin ignored the chill that swept over his brain and scrambled to get home and attacked his computer. he just fucked his immortal soul, but his mortal frame still had work to do. Would he write the next horror masterpiece? The new Frankenstein? Dracula? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? And none of that cheap rip-off vampire bullshit that paraded his talented writing. He wanted something original. How long would it take him? A month? Two months? It took him all of 25 minutes. When he started typing, he couldn't stop. For only the second time in his life, he felt true terror. The first time he'd felt that coppery emotion, he was an 11-year-old on a new Huffy Trailmaster dirt bike freshly assembled from Kmart. Riding along happily on the shiny new bike, he nearly went under the axle of a Frito Semi captained by a man who collected both empty Jack Daniels bottles and DUI citations. As Devin wrote, the terror mounted. Try as he might, the only thing he could think of was the quirky story of a little lost kitten named Fanny. He wrote Fanny's first misadventure, 
how she got lost in a mall and couldn't find Clara, her seven-year-old human owner. Sweating, shaking, horrified, he finished the story, knowing that he'd been duped. He started a new document, trying to think of death and terror and malice. He'd just met old Scratch himself. How much more inspiration did a budding horror writer need? Despite the visions of death, dismemberment, and despair that raged through his head, all he could find was an uncontrollable urge to write about a wacky camping trip in which Fanny made friends with Gwyneth the Greedy Grasshopper and Sally the Soft-Spoken Squirrel. Tears streaming down his face, Devin emailed the first story to his agent, pulled the bottle of Five Star from the top shelf, fished the gun out of the closet, and sat down at the kitchen table to wait. He knew, somehow, that Fanny the Fluffy Kitten was a guaranteed smash hit. According to Morty, that guess had been dead on. Now he was on the precipice of fame and fortune from his writing, and he wanted none of it. He'd sold his soul, which was a truly admirable act for the next king of horror, and wound up writing cheesy children's books. Devin lifted the gun to his temple. He was heading to hell. What good was another 30 or 40 years compared against eternity? It was nothing, the briefest tick of a clock, so he might as well end it. After all, he didn't want to live another 40 years as reviled as the person who invented the next annoying and probably pedophiliac purple dinosaur. With his thumb, he pulled back the hammer and felt the spring catch vibrate lightly through his skull. He lifted the bottle for one last time. A one for the road drink, so to speak, took a big swallow and set it down. His fingers slowly squeezed the trigger. His doorbell rang. He blinked, fingers still on the trigger. The doorbell rang again. Devon set the gun down, grabbed the vodka bottle, and stumbled towards the door of his apartment. Maybe it was a pair of Jehovah's Witnesses. Wouldn't they get a kick out of this situation? He'd head to hell clutching a copy of the Watchtower. Devon opened the door and looked out at a clown. A clown with a briefcase. He wore a baggy pink suit with lime green ruffles at the sleeves and collar. His giant patent leather red shoes stuck out at least a foot in front of him. A nose, which was almost as red as the shoes, stood in sharp contrast to his white grease paint face. A severe black grease paint frown covered his mouth and most of his cheeks and chin. A ratty red and black Dr. Seuss hat stood up on his head, which added to his six-foot frame, making him seem almost seven feet tall. To complete the ensemble, a plastic blue flower protruded from his lapel. Devon could make out a tiny squirt gun-like opening in the blossom center. Devon was speechless, which didn't seem to faze the clown. Devon Collingsworth? the clown asked. Devon nodded, his jaw slightly agape his eyes glassy with surreal confusion. I'm glad I caught you before you did anything stupid, the clown said as he produced a business card. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Chuckles Mulrooney, attorney for the damned. May I come in? Chuckles Mulrooney, attorney for the damned, sat on Devon's living room couch, concentrating on Devon's contract with the devil. A copy of Fanny the Fluffy Kitten, still warm from the laser printer, sat on Chuckles' briefcase. A once-white sheet covered the couch, obscuring patches of duct tape and disintegrating red and yellow plaid fabric. 
Bits of ancient stuffing still escaped, despite the blanket, and found their way onto the worn, lime-green shag carpet like furniture Nandruff. Nice decor, Chuckles said. Kind of post-apocalyptic Brady Bunch. Devon sat in a splintery rocking chair, his only other piece of furniture except for the kitchen table and chair, his dresser, and a mattress that lay on the bedroom floor. He clutched the five-star bottle, now three-quarters empty, and stared at the clown on his couch. "'You could have done better for yourself,' Chuckles said. "'One point six million for your eternal soul? Not much of a deal, Devon.' "'You don't say,' Devon said. "'Yep, you could have netted at least two million and written a real book. Not that I didn't like Fanny the Fluffy Kitten, of course. If I had kids, I'm sure they'd love it. But a mere one point six mil? You didn't even try to sweeten the deal?' I wasn't aware one could haggle with the devil, Devon said. That's the problem with kids today. You all don't think twice about paying retail. Devon said nothing, but took another long, burning swig. Listen, Devon, Chuckle said. Here's my offer. You got tricked, and there's nothing you can do about that. But you should realize how much money you can make in the course of your life. What I'm offering to you is this. I get half of everything you make. In return, I'll get you back your immortal soul. Devon stared and said nothing. There was a clown on his couch, reviewing the pros and cons of a bona fide contract with Satan. The sureness of it all stunned him into silence. What do you say, kid? Chuckles asked. After a brief silence, Devon finally spoke. Who the fuck are you? He said. I'm supposed to believe that you're some kind of clown lawyer? How did you find out about my deal? I'm not a clown lawyer, as you put it. I'm an attorney for the damned, Chuckles said. It's my business to find people like you. I find loopholes in contracts with the devil and get my clients' souls back. For this service, I get half of everything they make from said contract. And you dress like a clown? Why? Devon followed up the question with another long hit of vodka. He was so bombed, he couldn't even smell the pungent alcohol. Because I was once like you, Devon, Chuckles said. I used to be a struggling lawyer. I worked hard, very hard, but I just didn't have it. I wanted to be the greatest lawyer of all time, better than Cochrane, better than all of them. The devil came to me while I was buying condoms in a 7-Eleven, and we hashed out a deal. He gets my soul, and I get to be the greatest lawyer that ever lived. So what happened? He came through on his end, Chuckle said. I mean, I'm the greatest. A legal Muhammad Ali. I can give a deposition that will make her head spin. Most cases would be over by the time I finish my opening statement. I become a master of the spoken word, a manipulator of emotions, an artist of legalese, and I have a photographic memory of every case and precedent in the history of man. Not just America, mind you, but every case that's ever come to trial anywhere under any system. You should hear some stories about Cro-Magnon law. Fascinating stuff. And that Cherokee legal system where they slice open your scrotum, insert a burning coal, and then sew it back up again? Now that's capital punishment. At any rate, I'm the best lawyer of all time. The devil came through on his deal. He added one little clause, though. Every day I wake up with the uncontrollable urge to dress like a circus clown. I can't help it. 
The first thing I do is shower and then put on the grease paint. You should see my wardrobe. It looks like a trailer from Barnum and Bailey. It's difficult to practice law when you show up with size 27 feet, honk your nose every five minutes, and squirt the judge with your lapel flower. I can see where that would get in the way, Devin said, then polished off the bottle. Tell me about it, Chuckles said. So Satan, he tricked me. He is, if you'll pardon the expression, one crafty old devil. They don't call him the trickster for nothing. I have all this legal prowess, and I can't use it. But he fucked with the wrong guy. About a week after realizing the best suit I'd ever wear would have the bozo label on it, I decided to kill myself. Why bother living for another 30 or 40 years? It's only a tick of the clock anyway, you know? Yeah, Devin said, glancing at the still-cocked magnum on his cheap kitchen table. I know what you mean. Then I realized that's what he wants. That's why he tricks us, so we can get our souls faster. I found out he has a monthly quota to fill, but who would have thought of that? A quota? Devin said. Yeah, like a state cop with speeding tickets, Chuckles said. Anyway, that tricking stuff got me thinking. If he can trick us, play with the wording, come up with new meanings, then it means the contract is just a starting off point. It's open to interpretation, if you follow the logic. Then I decided to get even with the fork-tailed bastard. Get even with the devil. Devin said in a deadpan. Chuckles nodded, his big hat flopping in time. I decided to represent people who've made deals with the devil and get them out of the contract. I do this for three reasons. One, because I'm getting amazingly rich off it. Two, because I'll keep doing it until he tears up my contract and gives me my soul back. Three, just to piss him off. You want to piss off Satan? Devin asked. This is America, kid, Chuckles said, his smile bizarrely magnified by the black grease paint. Don't fuck with a lawyer. You've done this before, right? Sure, kid, Chuckles said. The devil hands out deals for fame and fortune all the time. You don't need talent to be famous. Just a good contract. Bob Sega was my first client, and I just found a loophole in the Britney Spears contract. I wondered how she made it, Devin mumbled. Chuckles busily ran a highlighter over the contract and made notes on a yellow legal pad. And you think this is going to work? Devin asked. I think it'll work, but it's up to you, kid, Chuckles said. As your legal counsel, I have to warn you that Satan won't be happy to hear from me. If we don't succeed, you'll be in for a pretty rough eternity. There's varying degrees of hell? Sure, sure, Chuckles said. As you may have guessed... Satan isn't a nice guy. If you think burning an eternal flame is the worst he can do, you've got another thing coming. So if I hire you and we don't win, then I'm fucked, Devin said. Let's face it, kid. You're already fucked. It's just a question of degree. Personally, I think we're going to kick his fork-tailed ass all over the place. In a metaphorically legal sense, of course. But it's up to you. As your legal counsel... I'm obligated to give you all the facts. Devin sat back on the very dysfunctional Brady couch and mulled the possibilities. An eternity spent writhing in burning agony, skin perpetually blackening under sulfurous flames' caustic touch, internal organs cooking forever and ever, and that was the best he could look forward to. Fuck him, Devin said. I was misled in this contract and I want out. 
I am, as you said, a victim of the system. That's the spirit, kid, Chuckles said, and pulled a piece of paper from his briefcase. What's that? Devin asked. This is a writ of formal protest, Chuckles said as he started filling out the form. The party in the first part, Satan, has entered onto a binding agreement with the party of the second part, you, and the party of the second part finds the contract inconclusive with his original intention of verbal agreement. Then the party of the first part, when formally served with this writ of notice, becomes whatever, Devon said, cutting off Chuckles' windy explanation. What's it mean in layman's terms? It means as soon as you sign this, Satan, or an official representative, has to come down here and do battle. Battle? A legal debate, if you prefer, Chuckles said. It all comes down to a battle for your soul. Just sign here. After I sign, how long till we get our day in court? Right now, Chuckles said. No judge, just me and the legal representative of Satan. You remember how you knew the fat guy in the three-piece suit was Satan? The real McCoy and not some crackpot? Works the same way in debate. We just know who wins each point. When it's all over, we know it, and we know who won. Right now? Devin asked, hesitating. You've got something better to do first? Like maybe wait for Fanny the Fluffy Little Kitten's Saturday morning cartoon to be all the rage? Devin signed the paper. A stench-laden cloud of sulfurous smoke billowed in the mist of the living room. Devin, for one, was glad to see at least some of the reputed trappings of Satan, as if the cloud validated the whole ordeal as something other than a bad hash trip. Satan himself, resplendent in an immaculate three-piece, stepped forth from the rapidly dissipating cloud. He stared hard at Chuckles. I'm pissed, Satan said. I want you to know I was in the power tools aisle of the Home Depot in Des Moines, closing in on this aspiring actor. Gee, that's too bad, Chuckles said. Satan glowered at the lawyer clown. Finally, we meet on the field of battle, he said. It's a long cry from the condom aisle in 7-Eleven, eh, pal? Chuckles growled. Finally? Devin said. What do you mean, finally? I thought you'd done this before. Sure, but not with the big dog himself, Chuckles said. I usually deal with one of his minions. Think of them as a combination demon legal aid. And did he tell you he's lost two in a row? Satan asked with a smile. Did he tell you about those poor, tortured souls? You lost your last two cases? Devin shrieked. Don't sweat it, kid, Chuckles said. I've still got a winning record. I'd hardly parade five wins and four losses as a winning record, Chuckles, Satan said with a laugh. He didn't tell you much, did he, Devin? You really should ask more questions. I bet you always buy retail. Devin sat on the couch, head in his hands, moaning with the noises of the doomed and the damned. My client's shopping habits are irrelevant, Chuckles said. You misled my client into a fraudulent contractual obligation. Since Mr. Collingsworth did not fully understand the agreement into which he entered, he is free of any obligation to you. Your client had the opportunity to review the contract and waive that right, Satan said. Ignorance of the contract is no defense. My client wanted to be a horror writer, Chuckles said simply. So he is. Satan replied casually. I happen to be quite terrified of fuzzy little kittens. Horror is in the eye of the beholder. Wouldn't you agree? 
A good point, Chuckles said. But the eye of the beholder in this case happens to be the marketplace. In the case of Greenwell versus Mephistopheles, I prove that the contractual disagreements of standards must be based on the accepted standards of mortal society, not the opinions of either pawns of hell, agents of heaven, or the voice of the damned. Yes, but you forgot Simpson versus the state of California, Satan said. In that case, it was established that societal standards of behavior are irrelevant in the face of physical evidence. And I believe you'd accept the contract as physical evidence. Devon's head bounced from Satan to Chuckles as if he were a Wimbledon. He didn't follow the argument, but suspected Chuckles was down 30 love. True, but in the case of Grog versus he who walks like death amongst men, 16301 BC, you yourself ruled that the verbal agreement is more important than the written contract. But they didn't have writing, Satan protested. They signed deals by leaving teeth marks on sticks for crying out loud. True, but a precedent is a precedent, Chuckles countered. But you haven't used that precedent in all nine of your cases against hell, Satan said. Chuckles smiled a black grease paint smile. Been saving it just for you. Does it piss you off? Back to the subject at hand. Since we've established that the verbal is the primary form of agreement, and nowhere in your contract does it specifically state that all verbal agreements are secondary to the written form, then we must gather that your verbal agreement with my client takes precedence over the written contract, correct? That's a fucking loophole, and you know it, Satan said. There are no loopholes, Chuckles said. Only interpretations. You said you would make him a horror writer, and there are no societal standards anywhere on Earth that would construe Fanny the Fluffy Kitten as horror, which puts you in breach of contract. Satan was quiet for a moment. Devon had a feeling that something big had just taken place, a major swing in momentum. Judging from the conceited smile on Chuckles' face and the look of fused hatred on Satan's, Devon dared hope that he'd won. I'm going to take a century's vacation when you die. Satan said in a quiet, threatening tone. I'll invent tortures that will make you beg ceaselessly. Say, how's that quota coming? Chuckles asked. Satan growled. Chuckles smiled his wide, grease-paint smile and continued. I've got two more cases coming up. All you have to do is rip up my contract and I'll let them slide. You'll run out of loopholes sooner or later, Satan said. I'll keep making the contracts tighter and tighter, you fucking clown. Don't forget, Chuckles said. You made me the best. I'll keep finding ways to beat you. We'll see, Satan said with a snarl. We'll see. With that, the billowing cloud returned and he stepped into it, disappearing from Devin's living room. What happened? Devin asked. You're off the hook, kid, Chuckles said. Your soul is your own again. What about Fanny the Fluffy Kitten? You can publish the Fluffy Kitty book and your soul still belongs to you, Chuckles said. Don't forget, I get half. Remember, I found a loophole for you. I can just as easily find a loophole against you should you try and renege. What if I don't want to write that book, Devin said. What if I don't want to write about Fanny at all? Chuckles simply smiled his morbid grease paint smile. Devon felt as if an icicle tickled down the back of his neck. He didn't like that smile. Not one bit. And suddenly he found himself wondering 
if he was any better off indebted to Chuckles Mulrooney than he was to Satan. The cellular chimed lightly, and Devon answered, never taking his eyes off the smiling attorney for the damned. Hello? Devon, this is Morty. Listen, they're insisting that Fanny be of series. I've got Robert right here, and he's offering $2.3 for the next book, and he wants to option two more at $3 million apiece. Now how soon can we get another book? The numbers danced in his head. Over $8 million for just over an hour's effort. A far cry from a few thousand dollars for ten years' work. As yet he hadn't signed any contract to publish Fanny the Fluffy Kitten. But if he didn't, he knew Chuckles would find some interesting clause and hand his soul over to the devil once again. Cellular still pressed to his ear, he walked over to the kitchen table and picked up the forty-four. Devon, Morty said. When can we get the next story? Devon stared at the gun, stared at the still-cocked hammer. There was only one way to keep his soul and his integrity. His eyes traced the length of the rust-speckled barrel. Devon, Morty said. You there, kiddo? For the moment, Devon said. Well, when can we get the next story? Devon made as if to point the forty-four at his head, then sighed and let the weapon hang heavily near his hip. I just happen to have one done, he said. Fanny's taking a little camping trip. Sounds good, kiddo, Morty said. I'll be waiting for it. You're rich, kiddo. Rich to the tune of eight million. Morty disconnected. Devon turned off the cellular. What's the good news, Devon? Chuckles asked. His grease-paint frown didn't hide his wide grin. How much are you making for me? In that moment, Devon knew he'd sign the contracts and spend the rest of his life writing cheesy children's books. The money made it just too hard to pull the trigger. His spirit hung low, as if weighted by a two-ton anchor. He'd escaped the deal with the devil, but his soul remained sold. Somewhere in his imagination, Devon heard the squeal of tires on hot brimstone and the jovial laughter of a fat man dressed in a three-piece suit. But there was a way out. For the first time in his life, a truly inspirational idea jumped into Devon's head. He'd just beat a deal with the devil. He'd be damned if he let anyone share his sellout money. We'll make eight million, Devon said. Or should I say... I'll make eight million. Devon raised the forty-four. Chuckle's face probably went white, but who could tell under all the grease paint? A vacation, Mephistopheles asked. You're taking a vacation? For how long? A century, Satan answered with a wide smile. I haven't taken a vacation since humans beat the Black Plague. But a whole century, Mephistopheles asked. What the hell are you going to do for that much time? Satan's grin was a mix of joy and evil. I've got a few things in mind. And that was our story. So we've got Satan, lawyers, and clowns. I think this piece hits the hell trifecta. And a reminder to everyone that the podcast novel Infection is in progress at scottsigler.podshow.com and is nothing like this story at all. This is Micah Dubenko of the Editing Reality Podcast, where we talk about fiction and edit it live on the web. It's not as good as what you hear on Escape Pod, yet, but that's why we're still editing it. 
come take a listen. Editingreality.com. <laughs> Flattery won't get you everywhere, but it might get your promo played. I've also listened to Micah's podcast, and it actually is a cool hands-on look at the editing process. And the stories he's been editing are a lot of fun, too. So we wrapped up our Hugo nominee series last week. If you haven't heard them yet, just listen to the four escape pods prior to this one. We've been seeing some cogent commentary on those stories. A lot of people have commented on Mike Resnick's story in particular, Down Memory Lane. There's been some controversy about the extent to which it qualifies as science fiction, as the plot hinges on a very real-world issue. However, for some people, that didn't affect the power of the piece. ASDF commented on our blog, About five minutes in, I was wondering what it had to do with sci-fi, and then 15 minutes in, I no longer cared. David shared an email some very moving words about his grandfather, and a number of people, whose names I won't repeat, confessed that they cried during the story. SF or not, that's very strong praise for the author and the narrator, Alex Wilson. The Hugo Ballad is now online, and I should mention, by the way, it's on an order of preference system, so you can rank your selections in each category from your most favorite to your least favorite. So which story do I like best? I am voting, but I'm not saying for what. If you're a Worldcon member this year, please do remember to vote. And, of course, come to our party. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. You can copy it freely as much as you like, but if you alter the content or attempt to sell it for commercial gain, Scott Sigler has monsters that will track you down. All of the rights are reserved by our authors. And their monsters. Our music is by permission of Dai Kaiju, the best and loudest Japanese monster movie surf rock band in the universe. By the way, I did see them play on Sunday, and I met with them afterwards. And if you like Daikaiju, there's some news on the horizon that is going to blow your mind. In several weeks. Meanwhile, thanks for listening to Escape Pod. We'll be back next week with more exciting digitized waveform data. Until then, have fun. <laughs>